Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. We've got members of the media, academia, financial services, and government all standing by as we analyze all the news and events and keep you updated. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. We're going to kick off the show with a look at what's happening on Capitol Hill in terms of legislation, litigation, regulation. You know them as the legal eagles, and you just heard them, by the way, yesterday on our kickoff inaugural Secure Saturdays, talking about David Levine, Kevin Walsh, both our principals with Groom Law. That's an employee benefits law firm in Washington, D.C. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us again this week on BRN. Thank you, Jeff. It is great to be here on Secure and Safe Sunday, talking about things like privacy, I think. So we're thrilled to be here, and thanks to all the listeners for listening to us yet again with you, and we appreciate the time. Well, they, our listeners want great education, great content. You gentlemen provided. Kevin, let's talk about privacy because we're going to pivot. We talked about Secure yesterday. What's the latest on data privacy? I know you and David are very close to this topic. So with data privacy, we're headed towards a, a patchwork of state laws rather than one federal law, at least in the short term. Um, and I say in the short term because that patchwork has already started to develop. Uh, as you can re- recall, a few years ago, California passed the CCPA. I think that's kind of the, the, the you know, the founding father of the, the state privacy bills. Um, and CCPA, you know, it's come online. It's been amended over time. Um, and this year kind of more goes into effect. So this year it begins to apply to employee-employer relationships. Um, more regs are coming. Elsewhere in the country, you've got Utah, Colorado, Virginia, and Connecticut that are coming online this year. Um, You know, in general, those laws are relatively good with respect to employee benefits. Um, You know, since they're brand new, we're still waiting for regulations. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to take some time to see how that all sorts out. But, you know, comprehensive privacy laws taking effect, each one's a little bit different. And then kind of the, the, the last step is that, you know, there are states that are, are working on legislation this year, and every year there's been states working on it, so the fact there's a bunch of states. Yep, I think we lost you, Kevin. David, are you there? I'm here. I'll pick it on up. Yeah, please. Own thing. Oh, we lost you for a, yeah, we lost you for a second, Kevin. you want to recap that, <laughs> what you just said? Yeah, so you've got uh, Utah, Colorado, Virginia, and Connecticut – uh, which have states that have come online this year. And, you know, it's going to take some time for regulations to come out and for those to be sorted out. In general, they're they're pretty good for employee benefits, but, you know, regulations can always change things. Um, and then we've got the third bucket of state laws, which are the states that are considering legislation. Just because a state's considering legislation doesn't mean legislation is going to pass. Um, but we'd expect a handful of these states to have legislation come. And what's interesting this year is that there's more divergence from the prior state laws in the proposals than there has been before, which means from a compliance standpoint, should some of these pass, it might mean whole new compliance structures need to be established. And where we're seeing new proposals are Oregon, uh, Iowa, Oklahoma, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, New York, New Jersey, and Maine. So a host of states are considering things. Now, as this patchwork develops, there's more and more pressure at the federal level to 
enact comprehensive federal legislation that, you know, that either could preempt state law and replace it, or that could set a federal floor for states that, that haven't enacted anything. And one thing that we've been hearing in D.C. and one thing that we saw at the end of last year was there was a privacy proposal uh, that had some bipartisan support, um, but was opposed by the chair of the, the Senate committee with jurisdiction. Uh, there had been some discussion we could attach to the year-end spending bill, like secured it. Uh, it did not get attached. Um, and right now what we're hearing is that there's more discussions going on in D.C. to see if a Republican House can work with the Democratic Senate to you know, reach a compromise privacy proposal uh, that could either replace the emerging state patchwork or that could complement it. Uh, David, is there anything you want to add? Sure. Uh, I think that overview you gave, Kevin, is outstanding. I'm going to sort of turn very briefly to what do you do mm. right now? If you are a service provider, we've talked before about privacy and CCPA and what people are doing with the updates to CCPA that now apply in California. Uh, different service providers have different sort of approaches. It's all getting sorted out. It's important to look at what your services and offerings are and decide is this governed by federal law? Does CCPA even apply here? It's a question we get from a lot of clients as you dig in. So something to think at a high level, but it would take a long time to discuss here. Another one is also if you are a plan sponsor or a plan fiduciary, what, what do you do? Well, as Kevin pointed out, it, there are a lot of provisions relating to employer employment-related data that uh, have carve-outs. We've worked on some of these over time. So Technically, in many states, the provisions may not have a direct impact on you and your benefit plans. And then, of course, there is the question of ERISA. But it, the idea is to say un, is to understand what might apply. Is it relevant to me? What's my position on it? Recognizing, as Kevin so well said, we're waiting on regulations and guidance that could change the process. The key is to think proactively, and as you're and as everybody is doing their contracting and other agreements with each other is to make sure that you've thought thought about and documented the why. There's no one requirement here. Sometimes the lawsuit will say you should do this. There isn't one should here. It's an evolving landscape, but something you might consider is evaluating. But again, ERISA doesn't have a you must do X or Y, so it's important to keep in mind, just think about it in the overall picture of your plan. David and Kevin, 30 seconds left. Um, I want to ask you, just want to make a statement and get your response to this. Uh, employers today are already dealing with data privacy, and they may be dealing it not only with employee benefits, but with payroll and other information. So most employers are probably have some level of familiarity with dealing with this issue. I would say – I would say that that is true in many cases, but I think, again, it's important to recognize that there's oftentimes carve-outs for employment-related data. So it's just watching the landscape. I will say a lot of employers have to deal with that on their commercial side already, so many already have teams, and I know we wind up working with them at times. Well, David, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us so uh, several times this week. Really appreciate all the insight that you provide. want to wish you the best rest of the weekend, and we'll talk to you again next week, gentlemen. Thanks, Hermeson, and thank you, listeners. Thanks Bye, so much. Bye, gentlemen. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future.
This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and called Credit Repair for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. We're joined this morning by Cara Ann Fox. She's a graduate student at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She also was the lead researcher for the research on social media. Cara, thanks so much for staying with us. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two this morning. Yeah, definitely. I'm enjoying the conversation. Yep. And, and by the way, I was scrolling through my phone uh, well, during the commercial break. I'm, I'm sorry to, uh, <laughs> to do that to you. Uh, let's, in, in all kidding aside, um, has it, I know you, you focused your study on younger, younger brains, developmental, uh, you know, children that are developing, et cetera, on social media. What about possibly looking at people my age, middle-aged Americans, people who are, you know, back, like I said, the phone didn't come out until 2007. Before that, we used Blackberries and maybe beepers. I don't know if people even remember beepers to communicate with one another. What about just studying the impact of people that have already have developed brains? Yeah, I think that this is a really interesting question because we've been thinking and talking a lot about how we would extend our specific developmental study. And because the groups were different at the start of the study, we would love to start earlier as kids are starting to use media earlier and earlier um, and also to follow them for longer to see what kind of outcomes and changes happen into adulthood. Um, and yeah, middle age, um, already developed brains, as you say, um, yeah, I think that that's a really interesting thing to think about because, you know, teens are developing now, growing up with this um, and sort of getting that like 
Like their brain is adapting to this digital environment that they're interacting with as they're growing up in this critical period of brain development. And so I'm sure that there are differences among people who did not have that experience or grew up with different technology. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with it, you know, in the computer age. So it was the computer age with the Apple II, the TI-994A, the IBM 286. I'm, I'm really dating myself here. So I've always known computers. But I'm, I'm curious, that constant flipping with the thumb, if you're using a phone and, and looking at that what, that, what that does to our brain. Let me ask you um, also about what does this mean for the gathering of information? I know a lot of the study was around uh, you know, we all we all like to have uh, be popular. I always wanted to be a popular person in in high school. We all wanted to know what was happening with our peers. Um, but but what about the information that's that's um, provided on social media? And I'll give an example. I was reading somewhere that some it went viral. How to remove your braces on TikTok? Now it's been about thirty or forty oh years since goodness. I had braces, um, <laughs> and and dentists were like outraged, like, hey, you know, don't do this. But what does this say about? the actual information being provided and, and do policymakers and others need to be cognizant of actually what is being portrayed online? Yeah. So sort of asking about the spread of misinformation and like people being able to rise to popularity with that, especially on TikTok. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that something that I've been thinking a lot about um, as a more clinically oriented um, psychology student is the spread of misinformation or just, you know, information in general on TikTok about um, mental health and different experiences with different disorders. And there's a lot of TikTok videos that are things like, if you do these three things, you have anxiety or you have ADHD, which I think on one hand is great for some things because it's giving kids validation or maybe they're feeling they're not alone or maybe they're able to get good quality information about um, what might be going on with them, like it empowers them to ask for help, like ask for what they need. And there's a lot of misinformation. Um, and that can, that's concerning, um, for, you know, what kids are, um, absorbing when they're, you know, scrolling through, um, their algorithm is feeding them more and more and more of this information, the more the time that they spend on it. Um, And I read something recently that said that kids are shifting to search more for information on TikTok than they are on Google, which is very interesting um, because, yeah, there is good quality information on TikTok, but there's also a lot of not. And there's a lot of like personal anecdote type content that's presented as fact. Um, So I think it's going to be really important to kind of teach kids how to um, differentiate between that um, and be you know, mindful media consumers going forward. Uh, let's end on a, a positive note because social media is not all bad. It's not all good. Let's talk about some of the good things. You mentioned the the sense of community. You're not alone if you have some mental health challenges or any challenges. Uh, a lot of older adults have been using social media, especially during the pandemic. Uh, they've been using FaceTime. They've been using their phones. It's a good source of a good way to foster community. And to know that you're not, you know, and especially in today's day and age where you and I are, are talking to each other, uh, you're in, in, North Car- in North Carolina like me, but you're in Chapel Hill. I'm in Charlotte, so there's quite a bit of different, away- different ways to interact. But it, it does a lot of good as well as create some challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Especially during the pandemic when this was kind of our only option. Um, 
this technology allows us to connect with each other. Um, one thing that I think is really amazing is that kids that are more socially isolated or they're in a community where they're feeling um, kind of minoritized in their identity or not accepted in their identity, um, like particularly for like LGBTQ youth, they're able to go online and find other kids like them and have these online only friendships. Um, There's another study done by people in our group that showed that these online only friendships can be protective against suicidal ideation. So that's huge. Like the fact that kids have access to, to this when they would not have had this before. Um, and of course, yeah, ben, there wouldn't um, be so much social media. It wouldn't be so dominant in our lives if it didn't offer us benefit. Um, so I think it's really important to remember that um, when sometimes you see or hear these discussions or articles that kind of incite panic a little bit, like, um, you know, like this is causing this and causing that. And we need to be really worried about our kids. Like there's balance, balance is possible. Um, and it's kind of like how offline relationships have worked forever. Um, like sometimes you'll have a fight with a friend and that will negatively affect you. So there's been good and bad always. And it's, that's the case for digital social interactions too. Uh, last question, Cara, and you've been really uh, kind to give us your time this morning. Uh, what about some takeaways for the, the platforms? I mean, do like uh, the metas of the world, the TikToks, um, you know, what, what do they take away from this study? Is it that they have to do more to more prevent preventative things, more reviewing or I don't want to say censorship, but reviewing things online before they're they're uh, put out? Yeah, so my motivation in this work is to boost benefit and limit harm and introduce ways to limit risk as much as possible, educate people about that. Um, and ideally, that would be what the platforms do as well, is they're trying, hopefully, they would try and find ways to boost benefit to people and reduce risk. Um, of course, it's definitely not um, that simple in these big corporations. Um, but if they do have the ability to get all of this valuable information about how people are using their platforms. And we saw a couple of years ago how um, Instagram, they were collecting information on Instagram and that it was harming girls and not necessarily sharing that widely. Um, so being more responsible with that, um, hopefully some kind of legal action that could help hold them accountable for that. Um, yeah, because these platforms are you know, it is a business. These platforms are designed to be addictive and have people interact with them as much as possible. Um, so that's an interesting thing to con to consider. Yeah, well, <laughs> I guess this, this is, well, really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us and more than a few minutes with us talking about the research. And look, this is an ongoing conversation. I think that we'll be talking about this for not just this year, but for years to come. Car, we're going to have to leave it there. Great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Yeah, thank you so much. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to? Drop us a line and don't forget for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website and, of course, all of our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRN AM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.